Welcome everyone to Monday Match Analysis. I'm Gil Gross and it is time for the 2022 Wimbledon Power Rankings as we are just one week away, less than one week away from the start of SW19, the year's third major. It is an abbreviated lead up. It is not the weekly power ranking routine that we have in the lead up to the US Open or Roland Garros, but for just this once, we will have our power rankings. Now, ordinarily, and uh, if you're watching on YouTube, you've noticed that the background is different. Ordinarily, I would have gone in depth on on Hubert Hercotch's win in the final over Daniil Medvedev, where he out-Medvedevd Medvedev, winning that serve-return dynamic, getting far more returns in play than Daniil did. Normally, I'd go in depth on that, uh, but it's been a little hectic. I have been uh, away, so it's just going to be Wimbledon power rankings. Also, Matteo Berrettini, lest we forget, winning his second Queen's title in just his second appearance. There's going to be some Berrettini talk and some Hercotch talk uh, in the power rankings, of course. They will both be making an appearance. Um, but before I get into the power rankings, let's talk about grass real quick. Uh, first of all, with the loss of 2020 grass season and the insanely short part of the calendar that this surface occupies, about a month three weeks in the lead up to Wimbledon, there is an insanely small sample size. There is an insanely small pool of results that we can pick from to actually get an idea of where we stand on grass, who's comfortable, who's not, whose strengths are accentuated by the surface, whose weaknesses are, uh, all of that. There's really actually for most players, the vast majority of players, insufficient data. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we will get more into that. I mean, but if you just look at, let's say, Matteo Berrettini's run to the Queen's final uh, or to the title, really. And this isn't to pick on Berrettini whatsoever. It's just outlining that, you know, the the experience level on grass is, is so tiny. Uh, he beats Tommy Paul in the quarterfinal. Uh, Tommy had never won a grass court match. He beats Botic van de Zanschkulp in the semifinal. Uh, Botic coming into the week, I think, had only won one grass court match at Wimbledon last year. One. He beats Krajinovic in the final. Krajinovic had never won on a grass court in his career, 0-4, coming into that week. So Berrettini is literally going through a tournament playing guys who were deservingly where they are, okay? But playing guys with a combined one win on the surface, just outlining where we are. This is the, this is the reality of, of grass court tennis right now. It's, it's always small sample size, but now that we've lost a year, I mean, some of these young players, some of these younger players, which by the way, Krajinovic isn't, but that's besides the point. Uh, a lot of these young players, they just don't have a lot of results to speak of. So what do we look for? What do we do? And the power rankings... I try to keep my opinion as far out of it as I can. My forecast for the future, my hunches, my extrapolations. I, I try to put that aside and make the power rankings as objective as possible. Um, 
with grass, that's obviously harder because we have less data to actually input. So here, here's the data. Great serves get a boost. Great serves help on grass. You take the ball early, you hit flat, you redirect well, you serve big. Um, you're offensively minded, by the way. That, that's a big one. I should have said that earlier. You want to play defense on grass? Good luck. You're going to lose. Uh, it's great to be able to. It's great to have defensive skills on grass. But you're going to have to bring a lot more to the table. So that's a lot different from clay, where we're looking at power, baseline power as a massive factor. Uh, we are looking at physicality as a massive factor. We are looking at heavy topspin and high margin aggression as a very, uh, from the baseline especially, as a very important factor. Uh, these things are very much downgraded as, an, as important attributes on grass. And some other things that aren't as important on, on clay, they are upgraded as attributes on grass. I think I've said everything that I wanted to say before. So let us not waste any time and let us get to the 2022 Wimbledon Power Rankings, beginning with the next four out, four players who I thought, I thought about. I think they deserve a shout out, but they did not quite make the power ranking. Kasper Ruud. Ruud is by far the best player who isn't making the top 10 in my Wimbledon Power Rankings. Um, there's a couple reasons for this. Uh, actually, many. I think the, the forehand, which is such a fantastic weapon, it's not the same on grass when he has less time to load it up. The topspin doesn't work as well. Against Peniston in the first round of Queens, which is the only grass court match we've seen him play, I didn't think his forehand was doing much damage, which is a huge red flag because that's a big part of Casper's game. And uh, I also think he, he has some major issues on the return of serve on the fastest surfaces and against the best servers. And that could be a problem at Wimbledon as well. I also think it is difficult to uh, come off of the run that he had at Roland Garros, making the final such a massive career milestone. I think both mentally and physically, that presents challenges. So I leave Rude out of the top 10, despite him being by far the best player who I'm not including in the Wimbledon Power Rankings. He does get to be in next out because he's a phenomenal player. Uh, Roberto Bautista Agut, former Wimbledon semifinalist, uh, flat hitter, incredible depth, great precision, usually goes away during clay court season and re-emerges for the grass and becomes someone, especially at Wimbledon, in the best of five format, given his physicality, who's uh, very difficult to deal with on grass courts, just hasn't been quite good enough in 2022 outside of, of January. He was excellent in January, great at the ATP Cup. Uh, he he won Doha, right? I believe he won Doha. Um Outside of January, he just hasn't been able to keep any momentum, and that's why he doesn't make the top 10 for me. Uh, speaking of, of which, uh, Karen Hatchinov. Karen Hatchinov in 2022 has done a phenomenal job of beating everyone who he's supposed to beat. Uh, just lacking big victories, lacking those important wins. Uh, he lost in the quarterfinals at both of the grass court leadups that he played which is kind of indicative of what he's been doing throughout the year. He's rarely losing first round, second round. Uh, he made, he did 
you know, he did make the the fourth round at Roland Garros. Um, so Hatchinov's playing good tennis. It's just where are the big wins? And uh, for that reason, although he's he's good on grass and he he made the quarters last year at Wimbledon and played a very good match against Denis Shapovalov, which he was very close to winning. He was almost a semifinalist. For all those reasons, I mean, he absolutely deserves to be in these Wimbledon power rankings as the next four out. I just couldn't put him in the top 10 because he he just needs to threaten top 10 players, uh, in my opinion, before he can be in there. And, and now that we look at it, it's kind of a common theme with this next out category because I think you could say the same about Alex D. Menor, whose uh, best win of his career is still against the world number seven. Uh, he, he did it twice earlier this year. He beat Matteo Berrettini at the ATP Cup, which tied the best win of his career. He declared, I'm back. He said, I'm back after that match. And you know what? Uh, he has been back. He has been way better than he was in 2021, where he finished the season at a 500 record. He's well above 500 this year. He's been very consistent. Um, but as we'll kind of get into, again, there's been less uh, a less than desirable ability to, uh, to beat top competition, and that's why he's next out instead of in the top 10. I mean, I look at these power rankings as... Uh, a power rankings of contenders not to go far at Wimbledon, but a power ranking of contenders to win Wimbledon. And while you may not take everyone on this list seriously to actually do it, at the end of the day, this is my list of probabilities based on what what I've seen so far of, of basically how the probabilities stack out. So uh, let us go to number 10. Number 10 is Grigor Dimitrov. And I'll be honest, this spot was absolutely between Dimonor and Dimitrov. That was the decision here. Uh, the other players in the next out, I didn't consider for number 10. It was between those two. I think grass helps them both. Uh, Grigor is 20th in the race. Demon is 21st in the race. The, the tiebreaker was the ability to beat top players. Dimitrov is 5-5 five and five this year against top 20 opponents. Uh, Demon is three and nine against top twenty opponents this season. Uh, plus, Wimbledon track record is a factor. Uh, Dimitrov made the semifinal in 2014. He's got a 16 and 10 record at the All England Club. Uh, he's probably got my favorite slice backhand in the game without Federer. That is absolutely a tool that becomes way more effective on grass as it stays low. Uh, and it sets up that forehand for Grigor, and it protects the backhand, which really can be attacked on the other surfaces. On grass, his backhand is much less vulnerable, and when he uses that slice backhand to find the forehand, to work the rally until he gets a forehand, he gets much better penetration on the forehand when he's playing on grass. I think he can be a little bit underpowered on the slower surfaces, but he's got good precision. He takes the ball early very well. He's got a good transition game. These things all help him on the grass. Uh, with that being said, he's inconsistent. He's very inconsistent. The, the, the ranges of levels that we've seen from him this year, if we think about, for example, his loss to Mackie McDonald in Miami, which no offense to Mackie, McDonald did not play well 
uh, in that match, and Grigor still lost. Uh, we, we have seen some performances that have been uh, shockingly uh, subpar from Grigor, and then some performances where uh, he's looked great, uh, like his semifinal run at Monte Carlo, like his quarterfinal run at Indian Wells. Uh, all things considered, though, there's a big drop-off after number nine on this list. So let's get to number nine. Number nine is Stefano Tsitsipas. Uh, hasn't won a match at Wimbledon since 2018. Lost to Thomas Fabiano in 2019. Uh, a match that I attributed to uh, a hangover effect from his heartbreaking loss to Vavrinka at Roland Garros. It's not an excuse. It's it's a problem, but I, it's just what I attributed it to. to. Um, and then last year, he lost to Francis Tiafo, uh, someone who had much more grass court play under his belt. Tiafo's a, a really good player on grass, uh, definitely a top 20 player on grass when he's at his best, at least top 25. And uh, Tsitsipas hadn't played a match on grass all season, coming off of Roland Garros and the unfortunate and tragic, well, uh, the, the the very unfortunate loss of, uh, of his grandmother. So that could have been weighing on his mind as well. Uh, circumstances aside, with both of his Wimbledon losses, there's no denying that grass brings out the weaknesses in his game. I've been pretty discouraged by the development of his backhand slice, uh, the backhand return, and overall his ability to defend on his backhand side. Ever since Monte Carlo, where it, it seemed to get a little bit better, clearly at this point that was just lightning in a bottle. It's not better. And when the ball is coming quicker and lower on grass, the slice, the block return, um, and the the difficulty that Tsitsipas has defending his backhand, those things all become much more important. His career record on grass is 10 wins to 10 losses. And ultimately, I'm not a believer in a top five player becoming completely irrelevant on a particular surface. I'm generally just not a believer in that, uh, but clearly he needs to prove it until he can be any higher on this list than number nine. He needs to prove it on grass. You know, there are some things uh, that should work well for him. You know, he, he does have an above average serve. He is fantastic using his forehand in the transition game. He's a great volleyer. He can be offensive minded, but here's what you got to remember about about Tsitsipas on grass. When he's on return, when he's on return of serve, how difficult is it going to be for him to get those short balls on his forehand if he does not return well and if he does not defend well? You must. Uh, on serve, he's going to get those, those mid-court forehands and it's going to be like, oh, look at, look at Tsitsipas. He should be great on grass. What about when he's on return? Are you getting approach shot forehands off the second shot? Never. Not going to happen. So Tsitsipas needs to show that he can break serve on grass. We know that he's going to be able to hold serve. And by the way, um, you know, generally his confidence coming off of a pretty poor loss to, to Holger Rune, um, just given Tsitsipas' status as the favorite to make the final in Paris, uh, I generally have some questions about his overall confidence uh, throughout 2022, where, where yes, he won Monte Carlo. Yes, he made the Rome final. These are great results. But has he ever looked 100% Stefano Tsitsipas? 
I think that's questionable. And I'm wondering if there are still, uh, if there's still residue from the elbow surgery and the subsequent equipment change, where for some reason he still haven't, hasn't, uh, figured out a way to be completely confident in his new setup. So with those lingering questions and the grass court history, Tsitsipas comes in at number nine. Uh, let us move ahead to number eight. It is Nick Kyrgios. Kyrgios got a lot of flack, at least on Twitter, for calling himself a uh, top 10, top five grass court player in the world. I don't think he's top five, but yeah, um, I I think he's top ten. I I do. So as much as much as he was ridiculed for that, I, I just think he was telling the truth. Um, again, I don't think he's top five. I think he's top ten. Uh, but the reality is, uh, the reason he is in this power ranking in the top ten is because he's been very good all season long. Every single time he's been on court, he's been good. He is seventeen and seven on the season. That is a 70% win rate. That is top 10 material. That is top 10 material. Um, look, Nick has been trying very hard. That's the difference. That's the difference between what we've seen from Kyrgios in the last several years versus what we've seen this year. He seems to be happy off the court and he cares about winning right now. And he is competing with intensity. Is he still mentally volatile? Yes. Does he still, you know, are there still questions about his fitness and his durability? Yes. But why is he as good as he is, despite those questions? It's because he's making a lot of effort on the court. That's the difference. And when he's making a lot of effort, we know that the talent is there. Um, and I think those, those who, who look to deny that are just getting their personal feelings towards Kyrgios in the way, uh, his serve is, is top five, top five serve in the world. Uh, the weapons that he has behind that serve far exceeds most of the players who we look at as players who serve as well as Nick does. Uh, he is much more in the category of a Hercotch or a Berrettini than he is an Isner, an Opelka, or a Karlovich, okay? Uh, so Kyrgios' serve is, is incredible, and on grass, when he keeps the short, uh, when he keeps the points shorter and the physicality is a little bit diminished, that really is where he thrives. His backhand is also much better on grass than it is on other surfaces. It's kind of, uh, look, it's an utterly flat stroke. He doesn't generate his own pace on it, really but it stays very low, and as long as the court speed is quick, and as long as it's a slick surface, uh, he can actually get a lot of skid through on that flat, low backhand, and it becomes uh, a liability on a surface like clay, uh, a weapon on a surface like grass. A huge difference in Kyrgios' backhand effectiveness um, on grass. He takes the ball early. He's a great shot maker. He's excellent at, at coming up with... Um, at important highlight reel shots when when he needs them, especially uh, in you know deep into return games. So I think Nick's playing really well. Uh, there are still questions about the ability for his body to hold up in the second week of a slam. In fact, he hasn't really shown us that that is possible for him. 
Uh, with that being said, he comes in at number eight uh, as a player who nobody is going to want to draw at Wimbledon. And look, uh, I have been... I have been ready to write Nick off um, for, or I have written Nick off for a very long time. And he has proven me right over and over and over again. I am not a, I am not like a, a Nick Kyrgios truther. I am not, I have not been someone who has said that Nick Kyrgios is a dark horse at every single tournament he's played. In fact, I have ignored him largely as a contender in the last few years. 2022 is different. He is playing better in 2022. Comes in at number eight. At number seven is Marin Cilic. It's not just grass courts. It's not just the experience on grass courts. And by the way, he is the third most accomplished player at Wimbledon. Certainly in the top 20, but maybe beyond. Uh, I, I didn't, you know comb through the rankings looking very carefully for a player who has maybe fallen off, who, who might be more accomplished at Wimbledon. But uh, as far as the top 20 goes, it's Djokovic and Nadal, and then it's Marin Cilic, okay? A guy who has been to the quarterfinals or better four times, who made the final here in, in 2018, lost to Roger Federer. Uh, 31 and 13 is his overall record at Wimbledon. This season, I've been very encouraged by Marin Cilic. He's playing better in 2022 than he has in the last couple of years. I have written him off for the most part due to his nerve management, which really took a nosedive for some reason after uh, really starting in 2019. He just started to become one of the most nervous players that you could imagine. Uh, it seems like he's put that behind him, which is great to see. He's playing with the freedom again. Hopefully that continues. Uh, the second thing that has improved is his baseline consistency, uh, which might have been down due to nerve management. And by the way, his second serve, I'll throw in, uh, is, is looking a bit more secure as well. Uh, so, so Cilic is doing well, and he's played particularly well at both slams this season. He beat Rublev with a great performance in Australia, and then he made the semifinal. Very surprising. Nobody saw that coming in Paris. On grass, he's going to go after his shots, both on his forehand and his backhand. He's going to bring big power. He's going to bring an offensive mindset, not just on serve, but on return, which is rare. Most players do not bring that kind of offensive mentality on the return of serve that he does. I love that on grass. He's really going to put a lot of pressure on any player who doesn't hit great second serves. Tons of pressure. Um, and look, with Chilich, when things get bad, when, when he starts playing poorly, they get really bad. I mean, he will, he will start delivering unforced errors in the, in bulk, we will say. Uh, but while he's flowing, it's a legit threat. Marin Chilich is a legit threat. And, uh, I feel very good about, uh, him coming in at number seven on the power rankings. At number six is Carlos Alcaraz. Alcaraz's career record on grass is one and one. He won a match at Wimbledon last year. I, I don't even remember who it was against. I don't think the draw was particularly difficult. But uh, in the second round, he played Daniil Medvedev, and he got destroyed by Daniil Medvedev. Uh, he has He's a totally different player this time around. He is just, you know, it's hard to understate how much better he is. 
And uh, I see no reason why he won't become a great grass court player. Um, to date, you know, arguably he's played, well, I guess he's played his best tennis on clay courts, but, but there's an argument to be made. His best tennis has come on, on hard courts. And, uh, I, I think any notion that Alcaraz is going to be significantly better on clay than the other surfaces, I don't really see where that comes from. And I, I, I don't agree with that. Uh, he has amazing offensive instincts. He looks to destroy you whenever he gets anything to attack. And that is a great grass court quality. He takes the ball very early. He has very compact stroke production. Uh, he is balanced off of both ground stroke wings when it comes to his ability to do damage. He can finish at net. You know, these things are all good. Now, of course, the serve is the question mark, the main question mark here. His serve is not going to be as effective on grass as it was on clay. On clay, he can lean on his kick serve, and he is an excellent kick serve. His flat serve and his slice serve, they just aren't as effective. And, of course, the kick serve is... It's not going to be very good on grass. It, the grass does not bounce high enough or take to spin well, excuse me, well enough uh, for the kick serve to be very effective. So it's going to be more about the flat and the slice and hitting his spots. And Alcaraz has struggled uh, hitting his spots on the first serve. Uh, th that means both serving a low percentage of first serves in play. That also has meant uh, just not playing close enough to the lines. And he's going to play a lot of players who can outserve him. And on grass, it's a little bit more difficult to overcome that. But other than the serve, the only reason Alcaraz comes in at number six and not higher is a lack of grass court experience. Grass is an unusual surface that usually takes some time to get comfortable with, including the movement. And we don't know exactly how Alcaraz's speed and movement, which is so important in his game, is going to be affected by the grass. So he comes in at number six. It's largely because... There's no experience there, but I think long-term and, and I think the potential is there for Alcaraz to be a great grass court player right now. We now move into our top five, and I think there is a step up here. I think there's a level up, okay? Uh, FAA comes in at number five. Felix Ojealiasim comes in at number five. Grass has always been his best surface. First serve plus forehand is the strength of his game. And on grass, it's very simple. A larger portion of the points, a larger slice of the pie, is being played and finished with those two shots alone. His career record on grass is 22-8. and eight. He's played eight events on grass. He's been to the semifinal or further in four of those eight events. And that does not include Wimbledon last year, where he, he had a very valiant run to the quarterfinal. I also want to bring attention to his results at the last four majors. Quarterfinal, last year's Wimbledon. Semifinal, the U.S. Open. Quarterfinal at the Australian Open. And then round of 16 on his worst surface, Clay. Pretty awesome. Pretty great stuff. So, so not only, not only do Felix's results suggest that grass gives him a boost, his results also are beginning to suggest that he shows up for the slams. That best of five gives him a 
gives him a boost. Uh, I think very highly of his endurance. Won't be a problem on grass, but in general, I think very highly of his endurance. And uh, more and more, he has become a player who has become accustomed and has learned to thrive in uh, stadium court, big, large stadium court environments. And that's an excellent sign for Felix. I don't think he'll be intimidated by center court at Wimbledon. And uh, by the way, uh, he's someone who has just played top competition so well um, at at these majors. I mean, Medvedev in Australia, that quarterfinal match was outstanding. Nadal at Roland Garros, that round of 16 match was outstanding. I am so impressed with these losses uh, that... I'm I'm really coming in high on Felix coming into Wimbledon this year. In fact, I wanted to put him at number four. I could not do it. It would not have been fair. Number four is Hubert Hurkacz. Again, my inclination was to put Felix here, but Hurkacz beat FAA in Halle and went on to win. He earns number four. No questions asked. Uh... His run in Hala, Hercaches, he beat Felix, he beat Kyrgios, he beat Medvedev. By far the most impressive run coming into Wimbledon. By far. Doesn't come as any surprise to me. Hercaches was serving people off the court on clay. So I had a feeling that would continue onto grass. He was really reminding me of Matteo Berrettini in the sense that uh, his serve was just... It's reached a level of overwhelming. It's reached a level of elite that it's really, uh, I think most players feel like they don't have much of a chance to, to return his serve uh, on grass. Uh, the, the spot serving is so good. He's pumping up the MPHs. Uh, his backhand is the kind of backhand which is, again, pace absorbing. Uh, doesn't like to generate much on his backhand, but if the ball comes in fast, he can he can really use that pace against his opponent. He is incredible at redirecting with his backhand down the line. His backhand is very flat and stays very low. It has that skidding effect. It is precise. Uh, it becomes a great weapon on the grass, uh, Hercotch's backhand. His forehand is the question mark. Um, I thought that it looked much better in Hala. Probably the best I've ever seen it. That is a great sign. And, you know, grass courts in, generally, in general encourage Hercotch to play the brand of tennis that really suits him best, which is uh, attacking net-rushing tennis. I like Hercotch net-rushing. And that's what he did at Wimbledon last year in his run to the semifinal, beating Daniil Medvedev, beating Roger Federer. That's how he needs to play. And it's very encouraging that that is the kind of tennis he can bring. He is a legit threat. Um, at Wimbledon. I also kind of love the idea that he gets the confidence of having made the semifinal, but not the pressure of defending the points. I think that could benefit him. Now, it won't benefit him in the rankings. So don't get me wrong. If Hercotch got to choose between, you know, having Wimbledon points and not, assuming he goes far, of course, he'd rather have the points because grass is his best surface, uh, unless maybe if you put him in the United States on a hard court. He's been pretty good in that scenario as well. Um, I uh, I think he'll be feeling great 
full of confidence coming into Wimbledon. I do want to mention before we move on to Hercot from Hercotch, even though he doesn't have a huge title this year like he did last season in Miami, I just want to say Hubie's playing way better than he did last year. I would take this season that he's having in 2022 every single day of the week over the season he had last year. Because last year, it was spotty. You know, he had, he won three titles, which is awesome, um, which is huge. He won Miami. That's amazing. But week to week to week, he was taking a ton of bad losses, a ton. So uh, this year, that's not happening. He's been, uh, he's playing like a top 10 guy every single week. He's not taking the bad losses. He's winning a few matches every stop of the way. Uh, and it, it doesn't feel like that kind of, it just doesn't feel like such a roller coaster like it has in the past with Hercotch. And that's just, that's a more sustainable way to be a top player and to go through the calendar. That is just uh, mentally less draining and uh, much less volatile. And I just think it's a huge positive thing for Hercotch to be playing that way. Number three. Number three is another player who uh, who plays his best stuff on grass, in my opinion. It is Matteo Berrettini. Berrettini, number three. Number three, Berrettini. Hasn't taken a single bad loss on this surface since 2019. He has an absurd and preposterous record of 32 and three on the surface since 2019. He lost to David Gaffan, which in 2019 is uh, not a bad loss at all, especially because he was coming off of a title run and may have been tired. Then he lost to Federer at Wimbledon in 2019, the year Federer uh, had match points in the final. Then he lost to Novak Djokovic in the final last year. That is incredible consistency. And I think what enables him to be so consistent on grass is the fact that his weapons never really go away. They're utterly and completely reliable. His serve and his forehand. You rarely watch, watch Berrettini, and this is especially true on the forehand. Um, you almost never watch Berrettini, at least when he's healthy, and say like, uh, you know, his serve and forehand, they kind of suck today. His his forehand kind of stinks today. I mean, that just doesn't really happen. Not, not really a thing. Not to mention the mental consistency. He's a fantastic competitor. He, uh, I think mentally, he's unbelievably talented and underrated. He competes extremely well. He stays positive. He stays focused. He uses his emotion in the right ways. He is fantastic mentally. So between the mental side and those reliable weapons, I mean, you just don't see a big range for how Berrettini plays. He is always playing to pretty much his abilities. And those abilities are nearly impossible for almost every single player to beat. Um, now, the question becomes, can he challenge the elite? And this is a, a very interesting question, given we have that limited sample size. So here's how you break it down. You know, my first instinct, 
because I know, you know, his last two title runs in Queens, they haven't been all that difficult. His title run in, in um, Stuttgart wasn't so difficult. Um, his, his toughest match really in the entire stretch was probably Andy Murray in the Stuttgart final. Yeah, that, that was his toughest match. So, so that says something. I mean, you know, I, I have tons of respect for, for Andy and what he's able to do right now. But, you know, that's not, that's not, uh, that's not as tough as, as it gets. So the question is, can he beat the best? You know, someone on the power rankings. Like, look, he hasn't beaten anyone on my power rankings um, this season. Now, last season he did. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about what we, what we saw last season. He's beaten Felix twice, and he's beaten Hercotch once. Um, and he's got the losses to Federer and Djokovic. That makes him 3-2 and two, lifetime on grass against... Um, oh, and you know, he's beaten Kyrgios. So that makes him 4-2 and two against my top 10 on grass. In the actual top 10... On grass, he's actually two and two. Both of his wins come against Karen Hatchinov, and then the losses to Djokovic and Federer. So it's a pretty small sample size. My thought on it is, I still have questions about Berrettini's ability to uh, to beat some of the elite returners in the game. His patterns on other surfaces are what ultimately lead me to believe that Berrettini is still a player who might struggle against the very elite. He has lost his last 10 completed matches against top 10 players. His last 10. The only time he has a win over a top 10 player on his record in, the last, in his last you know, 10 matches is when he got the walkover from Federer at Roland Garros. So it is indeed a 10-match losing streak against top 10 players. And uh, that's a concern for me. As someone who is going coming in as at number three on a power ranking, coming into a major, that's a concern for me. Now, ultimately, you can't look away from that record, that 32 and three record on grass. The fact that he beat Hercotch at Wimbledon last year, obviously, you're not going to put Hercotch above him. The fact that he beat FAA twice uh, last year, or I don't know, one of them might have been last year, then one of them the year before potentially. Um, you, you can't. You can't overlook that. You can't put FA above him. So he is number three. It's just, is he ready to beat the players above him? I have serious questions about that, but we'll leave it at that. Matteo Berrettini, number three. At number two is Rafael Nadal. Rafa Nadal, number two. Best player in the world when healthy in 2022. Right? Undeniable. Best player in the world when healthy in 2022. That means something. Back-to-back -back Wimbledon semifinals. Probably a couple points away from winning it in 2018. When he lost to Djokovic in the semis. And would have presumably beaten Kevin Anderson in the final. With that being said. Hasn't been to the Wimbledon final since 2011. There was a stretch in time. There was a point in time where a couple of things were happening. He was having knee issues and he was not recovering from the clay court season very well and coming into Wimbledon healthy. 
He was also having return of serve issues that was really plaguing him against the likes of Lucas Rousseau, Gilles Mueller, Dustin Brown, uh, big servers, big servers. Uh, the only loss that is like completely, who is the Belgian he lost to? That loss was like completely like, what the heck? Um, man, I, I forget, I forget his name. It was Belgian. Um, other than that, you know, he was losing to big servers and Nadal was horrible on return. So it was, it was that simple. Uh, I, that stretch is behind him. That's a thing of the past. He's looked way better at Wimbledon in, uh, in recent editions. Uh, he's, he's, he's won the tournament twice. He's been to the final, uh, at least four times. I might be forgetting, uh, you know, maybe it's five. Uh, it's, it's four off the top of my head. Uh, so like he's got a resume on this surface. The resume is there. I also think that recent developments to his game, increased confidence in offensive tennis under pressure bodes well for this surface. Um, we know he won't go to the medical lengths that he went to in Paris to make sure that his foot is okay. So the foot remains a question. I want to throw that out there. It remains a question. But as of now, I think I'm going to assume health. I'm going to assume that his foot's okay because he has been practicing and he has been practicing publicly and... I'm going to assume that he's good to go. Okay. There are still those lingering questions. I didn't really penalize him in, in the power rankings because of that. I'm assuming health and look, his ability on, on grass to, uh, flatten out the forehand and be aggressive on, on that shot. Uh, when, when it counts to mix in the serve and volley when he needs it, which I think he's done, uh, better and better in, uh, in recent times to actually, uh, use, the variety on his backhand and go to the slice backhand down the line to find his forehand, uh, his fantastic net play that he will lean on whenever he feels like he's not getting the better of play from the baseline. He's got loads of options on these grass courts. And, and I, man, I felt for a long time now, since 2018, I felt this way that Nadal is due for another Wimbledon. I felt that way. He comes in at number two. Coming in in the top spot is Novak Djokovic. Djokovic, we can keep this very simple. He comes in at number one. He's won the last three Wimbledons he's played. He's won five of his last seven. I could stop there and call it a day. I'll keep talking. Uh, his returning is an incredible edge on this surface. His movement is uncompromised on this surface, which most can't say. And that's the most mind-blowing thing about Djokovic, to me on grass, is his balance. And uh, his mastery of, of sliding on grass is unlike anything I've ever seen. He also benefits from this court rewarding his precision over power. His backhand becomes more of a weapon. His forehand becomes more of a weapon. And we don't see him have to battle the same problems that he does battle sometimes on the slower clay, which is that his forehand um, and his ability to hit through the court on his forehand doesn't always come easily. He can do it, but it doesn't come easily. On this surface, it does come rather easily, which is good. 
Uh, the only negative side with Djokovic is he does come in with, with little momentum in 2022 after the loss to Nadal in Paris, uh, yet to win a major this season. Um, I, I think that for most of the season, he's looked like, you know, less than his best, but it, it's a very small, small, uh, sample size, I guess, that, that we'll take from. He did look excellent in Rome. He did look excellent in Roland Garros right up until his match um, against Nadal. But ultimately, there's not nearly enough concerns uh, for Novak Djokovic's general level to say that he is not deserving and the clear number one in the power rankings after winning five of the last seven Wimbledons and the last three. Stay tuned, everybody, for the Wimbledon Draw Preview, which will come out on this channel. Hit the bell if you want to get notifications whenever I drop a video. Uh, that's a great idea, I think, if you don't, if you want to be here early and you want to be notified when I release a video, all right? And that is all I got. Hope you enjoy. Don't forget to subscribe, and I'll see you next time. Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean cellar. the mini fridge. Yeah, it's a mini fridge. It's a mini yeah. fridge. New New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts.